Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 5 from the World English Bible. Guard your steps when you go to God's house, for to draw near to listen is better than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know that they do evil. Don't be rash with your mouth, and don't let your heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For as a dream comes with a multitude of cares, so a fool's speech with a multitude of words. When you vow a vow to God, don't defer to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Don't allow your mouth to lead you into sin. Don't protest before the messenger that this was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams there are vanities, as well as in many words, but you must fear God. If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent taking away of justice and righteousness in a district, don't marvel at the matter, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and there are officials over them. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king profits from the field. He who loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, those who eat them are increased. And what advantage is there to its owner except to feast on them with his eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, wealth kept by its owner to his harm. Those riches perish by misfortune, and if he has fathered a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came out of his mother's womb, naked shall he go again as he came, and shall take nothing for his labor which he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit does he have who labors for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness. He is frustrated and has sickness and wrath. Behold, that which I have seen to be good and proper is for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy good in all his labor, in which he labors under the sun all the days of his life which God has given him. For this is his portion." Every man also to whom God has given riches and wealth, and has given him power to eat of it, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he shall not often reflect on the days of his life, because God occupies him with the joy of his heart. That is the end of chapter 5. So in verse 1 here, it says, guard your steps, and it says that in several translations. In several, it says, keep thy foot. 
I particularly liked the New King James Version, which says, walk prudently. And if you look up the definition of prudence, it means self-governance. So it's along the idea of entering thoughtfully with care about what you are doing and who you are approaching, or as Psalm 51 says, with a humble and contrite heart. Next, it says, for to draw near to listen is better than to give the sacrifice of fools. In David Gusick's commentary, he reminds us that to say in Hebrew to listen implies to heed and obey. Now notice here that the preacher is talking about the brick-and-mortar temple of God, where God's priests were, where God had been known to speak from, but now we are the temple of God. There is no New Testament teaching that says buildings where people gather are his house. So while, yes, we should obviously always approach God in prayer with the proper attitude, he is also always with us as his Holy Spirit. But what about the sacrifice of fools? Well, if you read it in context, he seems to be talking about the sacrifice of fools being rash vows, and in a sense, self-works, promises, or bargaining. But again, the comparison is empty words because, for instance, in Philippians 4, 4 through 6, it says we are supposed to let God know about everything that we are thinking of that's making us anxious. In verse 3, if this is Solomon that is the preacher, it's an interesting reference to dreams. It doesn't seem to be talking about dreams from God because here, like in verse 7, it's talking about them in conjunction with many words as a negative thing. So we go from the idea of a fool being rash with his mouth to emphasizing that if you do make a vow, don't hesitate to pay it. I did a word search on vows. One of the first places we hear about a vow is Genesis 31.13, where God is speaking to Jacob about returning to his own land, and it involves a vow that Jacob made. And then in Leviticus 7.16, a vow is associated with a sacrifice. In Leviticus 22, there are more specifics given about sacrifices associated with vows. And in Leviticus 27, it talks about the valuation of vows, which goes along with the idea here of paying your vows. In Numbers 6, we have the Nazarite vow explained, and you will recall that Samson was a Nazarite and that quite possibly John the baptizer was. Numbers 15, again, reviews the sacrifices associated with vows, and Numbers 13 talks about the sanctity of vows and who is bound by them and who can nullify them. Then Deuteronomy 12 assumes vows when prophesying about the place that the Lord shall choose to have his name dwell, that people will offer and pay vows there. And in Deuteronomy 23, it talks about not paying your vows with money that was obtained from wickedness, and also don't be slack in paying them. In Judges, we have the example of Jephthah's tragic vow, but then in 1 Samuel 1.11, there's Hannah's vow, which her husband Elkanah could have nullified but didn't. In 2 Samuel 15.8, we do have an example of a foolish vow, or at least a pretense of a vow, where Absalom uses that as a ruse. And then in Psalm 65.1, David talks about vows as part of worship. And in Psalm 76.11, Asaph talks about vows in recognition of God's greatness. In Isaiah 19.21, it speaks of Egypt performing vows as evidence of their knowing God. In Acts 18.18 18 and Acts 
21-23, both of those places, it talks about Paul fulfilling vows that appear to be according to the Nazarite vow. So there's nothing wrong with vows, and they are a valid part of worship. Going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 6, the New King James Version specifies that the messenger here is of God. Other translations use the word angel. So this person would probably be reminding someone of a vow, so you're not supposed to deny that you made it. Another commentary that I listened to parts of was by David Gilpatrick, entitled The Sacrifice of Fools. And he says that when you're talking about the multitude of many dreams and words here, it's um, telling you to be careful about claiming things that should be done in your own ignorance. And then there is the reminder to fear God, which, as we know from other places, is the beginning of wisdom. So if you fear God, you are beginning to seek him. In verse 8, the teacher-preacher here talks about the hierarchy of government with everyone seeking power and putting pressure on the lower officials, so don't be surprised by that. But then in verse 9, he points out that even the king gets his basic sustenance from the field that everybody has to eat, that all profit comes, begins with the earth, all prosperity begins there. And in verses 10 and 11, there is the human propensity to always want more, But each individual can only use so much because of our limits of time and energy. So at some point, you get to where you're taking more care of your things than you are enjoying them. But these are all very general statements, too, because it depends on how someone manages his things. In Matthew 25, we have where Jesus is telling the people they should have invested their talents, even if they didn't have very many, and to those who invested them well, he gave more. And in verse 12, it's also a general statement about laborers sleeping well. We know that not all laborers sleep well. They worry about things of their own. Verse 13 seems to be implying hoarding versus investment. When I listened and read various preachers on this, kind of predictably, they are very quick to tell us that we should donate our hard-earned money. Verse 15 is reminiscent of Job chapter 1, verse 21 where Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. But this is not just for the rich. Maybe in a matter of degree, they have more they can't take with them, but nobody takes anything from this world after we die. Verse 17, yes, life is hard. I'm not sure exactly who the his is in all his days. Seems to be the person who has a wrong perspective about his wealth. But then verses 18 through 19 say you should enjoy what God has given you, uh, that you have labored for according to his principles, and that wealth is a blessing. But verse 20 then rounds it all out with the idea of not being overly concerned with yourself and what you have, but just having joy in what God has given. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 